Well, I'm glad to be back. There was a number of years ago that I was speaking, and I had uh, notes, printed out notes. We were laughing about this before. And I didn't put the page number on the top of my notes. And in the middle of speaking, I dropped my notes and had no idea where to pick up. And the young guy at the back had no idea where to continue on. And so we were, <laughs> we were completely lost together. And so we just carried on. So anything can happen up here. So why don't we pray real quick and then um, we'll jump into what we're going to talk about this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. Just that we can come and uh, wrestle and journey with you on just uh, what it means to, uh, to be in a relationship with you. And some of us struggle with that. Some of, that, some of us just don't get it. Some of us do it a long time and still don't get it. And so we just thank you that you are patient with us as we wrestle with who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of years ago, I took up running. And I wasn't always a good runner because it hurt my body. Sometimes still does. And I was not in good shape. Sometimes I still am not. But I would aspire to run and, I, and enjoy it. And every time I decided to go for a jog, I would get a few hundred meters from my home before considering my life choices. Maybe some of you have done that too. And so running took time and patience in order to build up the, the conditioning and the stamina to do this. And after I'd gotten into the rhythm of running, I decided that I was going to sign up for a race here in town, locally. Now, my wife had done it three times before, and I thought, I better, I better do this before I get told that she's a better runner than I am, and she is. Because she'd done it three times. So I thought, well, I, I can do this. And so I signed up for the race. And it was called Metcon up at Blue Mountain. It was a five-kilometer. They deemed it an adventure race. And it started at the base of Blue Mountain. And when the horn blew, people would start running. And each heat, they would run up the mountain. And then they would run halfway down the mountain. And then they would run back up the mountain, and then they would run across the mountain, and when they would be met with various obstacles along the way. I think I have a picture. Rob Crawford took this picture of me. This was a number of years ago. Rob, I don't think Rob is here this morning. I'm not even sure why he was there. Uh, <laughs> I don't, don't think any of his family was running it, so maybe he was there for us. I don't know. Uh, so this is one of the obstacles. This was probably 10 years ago, and I think... He caught me just in the moment of defeat because you're, you're, com you're completely muddied up. You're wet. You're, this is at the near the end of the race, and you're expected to monkey bar across a pool, basically. And so uh, my first year, this was the very first year that I did the race, and I don't think I got maybe one or two more rungs until I just I couldn't do it and splash down into the, into the pool. I think the next year I did do it. But he caught me in the moment of, well, we would just leave it there, and I could see that I did it. But, and so after a number of years of, of training myself in how to run and really enjoy it and doing things like this, so these days I can run a six-kilometer loop for fun. And I can do it in about 40 minutes. And I have here wait for applause, so I'll just take a sip and... 
No? Okay, whatever. Oh, thank you. Oh, who started that? Oh, block. A Jim? Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know who's counting on Jim. So in our Western culture, running is somewhat of a verb that we live by. We're always running, always. We're running late. We run errands. We're running on empty. We run for exercise. Some of us run from the cops. I don't know anything about that. I have to run to the store, someone would say. But you know who doesn't run? People in the Middle East. I read a book a while ago and uh, changed my thinking on how we read the Bible. And a guy named uh, Andrew Thompson, he's a, he's a pastor, an Anglican pastor living in the, in the United Arab Emirates. And he says, you know, who, you know who doesn't run is people in the Middle East. He says, it's extremely rare to see an Arab anywhere in the Gulf run in public, not in shopping malls, not in the streets, anywhere. And I find it really fascinating that you hear a Westerner, because he didn't grow up in, the, in, uh, in Dubai, he grew up in England. And I find it fascinating that you hear a, a, a Westerner, according to that, like Andrew Thompson, describe, describe the stark differences that he's used to seeing at home in England and what he notices as he does ministry in the Middle East. And running in public, he says, is just not something Arabs do. And it's for one reason only, he says. It's very difficult to run with, now I have a picture, the next one, it's very difficult to run with a dishdasha or a nabaya. That's what they wear over there. He says it's very difficult to run wearing a rope. And Arab men and women wear these so that they're modest, modestly covered from head to toe. And the reason you don't see Arabs Men and women running is simply because the clothing restricts your stride while you run. This is what he notices. And if one were to run, the only way is to hitch up your robe or your dress or your long whatever and allow your stride to improve. And he said running and doing this, hitching your robe up, is largely unthinkable in the Middle East. Because Middle Eastern culture regards showing too much flesh as immodest and shameful. And to run would be undignified. And it's been like that in the Middle East for a very long time. And the more status you have in the Middle East, the less likely you are to run for any reason, especially if you're a patriarch figure or a tribal elder or a landowner. However, in one of Jesus' most well-known parables, the prodigal son, Jesus breaks down cultural norms and gives his audience something to think about. In the prodigal son, I'm going to read it in just a minute. It'll be on the screen. In the prodigal son, Jesus, the master storyteller, tells of a young man who violated almost every code of good behavior and demanded his father's inheritance before he had even died. Now let's put it on the screen. I'm going to read it, and I can't remember what translation. So I'm going to just read it. I'm going to turn my back to you. You can read along with me. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, 
This, uh, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. But the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him to work in his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the, the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. He finally came to his senses, senses, and he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned both against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a think, single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by, by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now he's found. I think that's the last verse. So Kenneth Bailey, an evangelical scholar in the Middle East, decided that he wanted to get some reactions on this story from modern-day Arabs and from different Arabs. And so he set out to tell the story, and the reactions were all the same. This was modern-day, basically. He went and told the story to someone, this would never happen in my village, someone would say. And Kenneth would say, well, why is that? It's an impossible request to ask for the father's inheritance. And then Kenneth would ask, what would happen in, in your village if a son asked this of his father? The father would beat him, of course, the person would say. Why is that? Kenneth asked. This request means he wants his father to die. So in the Middle East, at a certain age, it's the duty of the son to care for parents. And there's an obligation to care for elderly parents and then ensure that they are buried when they die in a respectful way when they pass. And so for a son to abandon this duty brings ultimate shame on himself. And what's interesting is at the beginning of Jesus' parable, we see that the father is very peaceful and grateful in his response. Quite the opposite from the responses from um, Kenneth Bailey's survey. 
And we see that in Jesus' story, after the request is made, the father, in Luke 15, 12, divided the property between the two sons. And this son's earthly father does not do what other fathers would do. Many of the people surveyed said this would bring such a beating, but not this father. This father, in Jesus' story, is different. The story goes on to say that the son squanders all the inheritance given. And he soon realizes that the servants in his home have a better life than he does. And so he returns home to seek forgiveness. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. That's Luke 15, 18 to 20. But... While he was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. And the father does the unthinkable. He runs. The old man hitches up his robe, because that's what they wore. This is not in the Bible. This is a cultural thing that we miss out. The old man likely hitches up his robe, exposing his legs in the most undignified and shameful way, and runs, likely through his village, for everyone to see an old man, a patriarch, running, showing bare legs. This would be a shock for everyone in the village. And they likely wouldn't have even known why the father was running. They would have just seen an old, an old man, maybe crazy old man, showing his legs running through the village. And so while he was a long way off, his father saw him. The father did not care what other people thought. All he could think about was his son returning home. The same son who wished him dead in order to have money. The same son who walked out on him is now coming home. The same son that deserved a beating is now coming home. And the father just can't wait, and he runs to him. It's a very interesting contrast between father and son because the son is likely getting ready for a beating. I'm sure of it. It's why he was so so scared and said, Father, I've sinned against you. The the son is expecting the beating of a lifetime. Full of fear and hoping that his father would just make him one of his servants. And the father ran, not caring, but the shame and indignity that he was bringing upon himself just to welcome his son home. And the story that Jesus is telling should be one of anger and hatred and shame and loss of respect. But instead, this father owned all of this because he ran. Andrew Thompson in his book continues to say this, with this parallel, he says that this story from Jesus probably stunned his audience. Because that's not what a typical father would do or should do. Normally, the father would be running to give the beating, but instead he's running to embrace and forgive. And the father deliberately shamed himself out of love for his son. Made himself weak and undignified. 
And shame was brought on him in order to have that joyful reconciliation. And you know, we typically, when we read the prodigal son, we take the same message away that it's about the son, which he's the main character in that story, but we often forget about the father. And when we usually read the prodigal son, usually the big idea that we pull out of this is that God will always take us back no matter what. But there's this cultural significance that is overlooked, and that is that the father ran. That we just, we don't understand that because it's not a cultural thing that we, that we understand here. And so we have to look at the father and the significance of him running because he brings shame upon himself to forgive his son. And so when we put the story through a Middle Eastern culture, we see the significance of the father running. Because it's about God the Father taking on shame for a joyful reconciliation of all of us. And so yes, the prodigal son is about God taking us back, but at a much greater cost to himself. And we often overlook that. And that cost is shame on the Father. And the, and the parable of the prodigal son is that he'll do anything to reconcile with us. Anything. And I find it interesting because the context of the, par- uh, the prodigal son is told in a series of, of parables while Jesus is having a meal with the Pharisees. Who we all know, and if you don't, they're religious leaders that make faith about themselves, religion about themselves. And in the prodigal son, Jesus makes it about the father and the sacrifices the father makes, not the son. And when we look at the story today, we can take to heart that we are all the sons and daughters in this story. We're, we're all of them. And we have a father that will do anything to reconcile with us. He'll do anything to get us back. I want to wrap things up by getting you to think about one more thing. But who else ran in the Bible? Just think about that for a sec. Don't shout it out. Just think about it. who else ran in the Bible. There's one notable instance in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's right near the end. The Gospels are eyewitness accounts of Jesus, if, you, if you're not sure. And right at the end of one of the stories, we're met with Jesus dying on the cross. And he's about to be buried. And he is buried, and we come across Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I want to read this to you. The day of rest was over. The sun was coming down on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the grave. At once the earth shook, and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. He came and pushed back the stone from the door and sat on it. His face was bright like lightning. His his clothes were as white as snow. The soldiers were shaking with fear and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was nailed on the cross. He is not here. He has risen from the dead as he said he would. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. Run fast and tell his followers that he has risen from the dead. He's going before you to to the country of Galilee. You will see him there as I have told you. They went away from the grave in a hurry. They were afraid and yet had much joy. 
They ran to tell their followers, to tell Jesus' followers about what had happened. They ran to tell the news of what was going on. Mark 16, 13 says, when his followers heard this news, they ran. Pulling up their robes, they went to the tomb to see it for themselves. The resurrection of Jesus made people run in the Middle East. They didn't think about what other people thought. They didn't care about their dignity. They put all those things aside to see if the resurrection was true. They all hitched up their robes to get the actual story. I find it really fascinating that when we intertwine a cultural understanding of the things that people did and the things that people do, we pour pour more meaning out of a story that we're so used to hearing. I've heard the prodigal son a thousand times and I've never looked at it through this lens. And so as you read your Bible on your own, note when people run. And know the cultural significance of this act is one that brings shame on a person. Note why they are running. Who they might be running to or running from. And this week, remember that the resurrection of Jesus made people run. Made people shrug off what others thought of them as they ran to tell others about what had happened. And so this week, as poor sinners of all all of us, both you and I, as we go to God for forgiveness, know that our Father is willing to hitch up his rope, taking on our shame and running towards us in anticipation of reconciliation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us so much that you are willing to take on shame to have a joyful reconciliation with us. That is just something that we're too afraid to do to other people. We're too self-conscious. But this is a radical love that you show us and that you're willing to do. In this parable of Jesus, we see the radical love of the Father. An old man showing his legs to the world, being undignified, bringing shame on himself just to be reconciled with with us. That is something that we do not deserve. But in the story of Jesus and the prodigal son, this is how we are treated. Many of us expect a beating for squandering what you have given us, but you you run to us in anticipation of a joyful reconciliation, and that causes shame on the Father, something we cannot do for ourselves. And so we thank you for this. In your name, amen. Amen.